So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 1, verse 39. Um, As a reminder, or in case you haven't been here the past few weeks, we've been going through Mary's song called the Magnificat, uh, and today is our final Sunday um, studying this, and we're going to be going over the final two verses. The song itself is about 10 verses in total, and today we're looking at just the final two. Let's read the entire passage, though, uh, including the preface to the song, and then we'll pray that God will use this time today uh, to speak to us. So the passage is uh, Luke 1, 39 through 55. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered in the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we are so thankful that we can come here together, Lord, as a family, Lord, and gather to worship you, Father, to praise you for the mercy you show us, Lord, though we don't deserve it. There are so many blessings in our lives, Father, and gathering together in your house, Lord, to worship you and to hear your word, Father, is such an enormous blessing, Lord, and we are so thankful for it. Lord, we pray that today the Holy Spirit will be here with us. We'll use this time, Lord, to draw us closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the last two verses say, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And these are the two verses we're going to focus on this morning. Over the past three Sundays, uh, Jeremy and David have gone through the prior verses, uh, and we're finally at the end now. Um, But these two verses are really, really interesting because they look back on Israel's past. Um, Mary talks about speaking to God speaking to Abraham and to his offspring forever. As we just read, Mary's song comes after Elizabeth says to her, why am I favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So in other words, what's interesting here is that Mary and Elizabeth both know that Mary is carrying a baby who is more than just a normal man. Like Elizabeth says that, they're both aware that this is not a normal situation. Even knowing this though, why does she sing that God is helping his servant Israel? In what way is God helping Israel? She expands on this by saying that God is remembering his mercy 
uh, the mercy that he spoke to their fathers. So she's clearly referring to some specific part of Jewish culture, uh, the mercy spoken to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's not speaking generally about how God's being merciful. She's specifically talking about mercy spoken to Abraham. And not only to Abraham, but to his offspring forever. So there's a few questions here that I think we can try to unpack this morning. The first one being, what did God say to Abraham? What were these mercies that were spoken? Um, the second question is, in what way did God, is God showing mercy to Israel at this time, at this moment, right now? Why does Mary sing that God is showing mercy to Israel, is helping his servant Israel? She's clear that it's by her carrying the baby in her womb, uh, but how is that helping his servant Israel specifically? And then the third question, how does this apply to us? Uh, she says something interesting at the, song, at the end of the song, which is that God remembered his mercy to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Uh, and it seems like that would relate to us, and it does, um, but we're going to look at how, how exactly that relates to us. So let's look at the first question, what did God say to Abraham? Around 4,000 years ago, uh, from today, counting back, Abraham, who was called Abram at that time, was living in Mesopotamia with his family, and according to Joshua 24, he lived with his father Terah, who worshipped idols. At some point in the past, their forefathers had worshipped Yahweh, the true God, but Terah did not. Uh, his household did not. Um, it says specifically that he served idols. One day, God Almighty reached down from heaven and had mercy on this man, on Abraham, living in the middle of a family of idol worshippers. The Bible does not tell us that God reached down and chose Abraham because he was holy or because he was perfect. It actually tells us almost nothing about Abraham prior to that moment when God reached down. Abraham was like everyone else on earth. He was completely undeserving of the mercy that God was about to show him. God told him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was a promise made to Abram by God. And when Mary sings that God remembered his mercy to Abraham, a sinner to whom God showed grace, these are the types of promises that she's talking about, the thing, the thing that I just read. Promises to bless Abraham and to bless all the families on earth through him. When God told Abraham to leave his country and his family and to go to a place that God would show him, Abraham did not know where he was going. It specifically tells us, God said to go to a place I will show you. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. But Abraham went anyway. And as he made the journey from Mesopotamia through Haran and beyond, towards the promised land, God continued to speak to him, to command him, and also to make more promises. So turn to Genesis 17, verse 5, and we're going to look at one promise in particular that y'all are probably going to be familiar with. Genesis 17, verse 5, um, we'll read through verse 7. God says, No longer should your name be called Abram, but it will be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So what's God promising here to Abraham? What does it mean when he says he will be his God 
not only to Abraham, but to his offspring. So maybe Abraham was wondering the same thing. What, is this, what does this mean for him to be my God? Who is this God? Maybe God revealed himself to Abraham in some miraculous way, and Abraham just knew exactly who God was. It doesn't say that, so maybe he didn't. Maybe Abraham was wondering, what is this God like? What are his characteristics? How does he treat his children? What does it mean for him to be my God? And for us, this is what's important about the scriptures because they answer those questions for us. We might have the same questions about God. What is he like? What does it mean for him to be my God? These questions about the creator of the universe, the one who formed this everlasting covenant with Abraham to God or to be his God and to be God to his offspring, those questions are answered for us in the Bible. For example, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not, be fear. Do not fear or be dismayed. God makes that promise to Israel, to Abraham's children. Uh, and it's, it's incredible to think about when you know who God is, when you read through the rest of the Bible and you understand that he created everything. For him to say, he will not leave you nor forsake you, is an, it's an incredible promise. And it's not on the screen, but in Isaiah, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So this is the answer to the question, the first question we asked, which is that what did God say to Abraham? He created a covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham that he, Yahweh, would be his God. This covenant, which is another word for a pact or agreement, this is how God reveals to Abraham who he is. In Genesis 18, 17 through 19, God says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What's the way of the Lord that God's speaking about here? He tells us right after, it's by doing what is right and just. This is part of the covenant. He asks Abraham and his offspring to follow the way of the Lord, to do what's right and just. He says, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. That's the covenant that he spoke to Abraham. He will bless him and bless all nations on earth through him if he will follow the way of the Lord. Ultimately, Abraham does have faith in God, but he never sees the fulfillment of these promises. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in chapter 11, that Abraham died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And the reason this happens is that it's because Israel very quickly fails to do what God is asking of them. The covenant that God made with Abraham was renewed with his children, with his son Isaac, and with his son Jacob, who would later be called Israel. And so in this way, the covenant passed down to Jacob's children, who we call today the people of Israel. Isaac and Israel know that they're members of this covenant. They're aware of it. It's talked about all the time. Uh, there are writings. They know what God's commanding of them, that they should follow the way of the Lord. They also lived through God performing amazing things for Israel, not the least of which was their 
escape from slavery in Egypt. But despite this, we read over and over again that they still rejected God's promises and ultimately his covenant. So to answer our second question, in what way is God showing mercy to Israel by Mary carrying this baby? Let's first look at why Israel needed mercy. So turn with me to Numbers 13, verse 31. So for some context before we read it, and it'll be, it'll be up on the screen, Israel has just escaped captivity in Egypt, and God has brought them very close to the land which they were to take possession of and to make into their home. So Israel sends scouts over into the land to bring back a report, and the scouts see that the land is exceedingly good, flowing with milk and honey, but they also see that it's inhabited by the Nephilim. So let's read, starting in uh, verse 31, Numbers 13. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have had died in the land of Egypt, or that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they knew the covenant, and more specifically, they knew God's promises. They knew what God was capable of. They knew he'd protect them. They'd seen it happen over and over again. Within their lifetimes, they'd seen amazing things happen, but they still chose not to trust God. They were scared to go into the land. Uh, They were scared that God would not protect them, or maybe they just weren't thinking about it at all. They were just terrified. A lot of times we read this and it seems sad or like unbelievable that they wouldn't have trusted God given everything he'd already brought them through. Uh, But we make the same types of decisions every day. Uh, We choose sin, believing that it's going to bring us more joy than God. Even if deep down we think about it, we know, we know God's promises, we still choose sin. And this is a rejection of God's promises and of his covenant. And there are three rejections made by Israel that I want to go over really quickly. Uh, because I think they're pretty similar, these rejections by Israel are pretty similar to the ways that we too reject God. So the first one, Israel rejected God's prophets. God sent clear messages to Israel, and like we saw above with the people just wanting to ditch Moses for another leader who would do what they wanted, uh, Israel repeatedly rejected God's promises. They rejected his messages uh, sent by his prophets. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles uh, 24, verse 17, and we'll take a look at a specific instance of this. Now after the death of Jehoda and the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king, then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent, them, he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. 
Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So in this passage, Zechariah was stoned to death when the people of God rejected his message. We might not stone God's messengers, but we certainly reject his message when it doesn't fit with our lifestyle, uh, or we just don't, don't like what we've read. We can reject it outright. We can read it and say, that doesn't line up with what I have been taught about God through culture or just kind of what I feel. It doesn't line up, and we can just straight up say, this passage has got to mean something else. Or we can reject it with apathy uh, and just try to ignore it and move on and not think about it. But either way, it's the same result which is that we, like Israel, are concentrating on doing things our way uh, rather than God's way. The second rejection to talk about here that Israel does uh, is they repeatedly rejected God's trustworthiness. Um, The people of Israel had not only had the prophets to tell them about God's faithfulness, uh, these people that God was sending to them, but they also had a history of miracles, amazing things that had happened to them, such as God providing water flowing from rocks in the desert uh, when they had no water. But despite this, they still lacked faith that God would protect them. They said to God, we don't trust you. We don't trust that you're going to keep your promises. We don't trust that you can protect us. In our lives, we not only have the Bible, which is God's message, uh, tells us everything about God we need to know, everything about who he is, but we also can look back on specific times in our life when God answered personal prayers. When we prayed for something specifically and God answered it, it's easy to forget, but we can look back and remember that. Or maybe even if we didn't pray for something specifically, uh, we remember a time, we can remember times when God rescued us out of situations that we didn't even pray to be rescued out of, but we realized when it happened um, that God had done it and that God had saved us from something potentially bad. We should plead with God to not let us forget these moments moments when we prayed for something specifically and he gave it to us, or moments when he rescued us because we didn't even see what we were getting into until it was happening. Um, We should plead with God in prayer to let us not forget these moments, like the people of Israel uh, forgot. In those moments when it's hard to have faith, it's hard to, sometimes we're blinded and we can't look back on our own life, um, we can remember that the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. In the moments when it is hard to remember things in our own life, God does ask us to open up this book and read, uh, and he'll be faithful to give us peace. He gives us countless stories of when he's been faithful to his people over thousands of years, and we're his people. Um, It doesn't mean the storm's not going to come, but it means that he will be faithful to protect us when it does come. The third rejection, Israel rejected the righteousness that comes only from faith in God. And what does this mean? Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verse 10, um, and we'll read something where, where Jesus kind of talks about this. Luke 13, starting with verse 10. Now he, G- Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. 
When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey away from the manger and lead it away to water it? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So the Jewish leaders had a set of rules, uh, or you can call it morality, statutes. Uh, and these rules, while they were based on God's statutes, they really didn't have anything to do with faith in God. They didn't have anything to do with glorifying God. Paul explains in Romans what was going on here with Israel at this time. He says that they were ignorant of their own righteousness and they were seeking to establish, sorry, they were ignorant of the righteousness of God and they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Part of this was because they wanted to be praised by men for being moral. Jesus calls this out in John 12. There's a way we can do the same thing not, maybe not for the same reasons, sometimes for the same reasons, but there's a way we can become dependent on our own good deeds, uh, on following the commandments that God gives us, and we believe that's going to make us righteous before God. Uh, if we can just be good and do the right things, uh, then we'll be righteous and God will love us. And this is partially what Israel was doing. They were relying on a, a moral framework to save them. They weren't relying on faith in God, uh, they especially weren't relying on the faith that comes only from God. They were relying on their own righteousness uh, that they had developed up over these thousands of years of sort of permuting these statutes and morals. So if we look at these three rejections, rejecting God's message, rejecting God's trustworthiness, and rejecting the righteousness that comes only from God, if we look at all three of these, it's pretty clear that Israel had breached the covenant that God had made with him. They were not following the way of the Lord. Over thousands of years, they repeatedly rejected faith in God. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7 lays it out uh, pretty clearly. The context here is that Israel is asking for a king to rule over them like Israel sees in other nations. They want a king. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. This ultimate rejection of God, not just in that moment, but throughout all the history of Israel, it's not exclusive to the people of Israel. All of humanity has rejected God, not just in the three ways we talked about, but in numerous other ways. Israel knew that they should follow the way of the Lord by being right and just. They knew this was part of the covenant, but they didn't do it. They weren't able to do it. We're not able to do it. God gave them the law to make it crystal clear exactly how they were failing. And they sp spent thousands of years showing us exactly how we fail God too. Israel is just a picture of how, of how we fail God. They couldn't do it. We can't do it either. And at this point, the just and appropriate response of God would be condemnation. They failed to 
They failed to hold up their end of the covenant, this agreement. An all-powerful, completely just God should have smited Abraham's children and us from the earth. But obviously, he hasn't done that. He didn't give up on Israel. He didn't give up on Israel. And he doesn't give up on us either. As Mary saying, a point came in time when God remembered his mercy. He was always remembering his mercy, but there was a specific moment where he remembered the mercy he spoke to Abraham, and that's what Mary was singing about. So this is the answer to our second question. In what way was God showing mercy to Israel? Through Mary, God was making a way for Israel to be with him despite their sin. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. We'll read just through 21. But as he considered these things, this is Joseph um, prior to Jesus' birth. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God had made a covenant with his people through Abraham. Israel had rejected God and his covenant, but this wasn't a surprise to God. The plan was always that he would make a way. The plan was always that he would find a way to allow Israel to be with him, despite them failing to keep up their end of the covenant. And this way is Jesus Christ being born through Mary. The perfect son of God, not created to save, not created to come down to earth, but having always existed. And John tells us through whom all things were created, he's the only one capable of fulfilling the covenant. Galatians 3 verse 16, uh, Paul's writing, and uh, really we have to remember it's, it's God writing to us. And he talks about Jesus Christ and the promise made to Abraham. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. So this is pretty deep, but Paul is saying that Jesus is the one whom God had in mind when he made the promise to Abraham and to his offspring. God was thinking specifically about Jesus Christ when he made these promises. We read about the promises earlier, one of which was that through Abraham, all the families on earth should be blessed. 4,000 years ago, God made that promise to Abraham, and Paul is saying he was thinking about Jesus Christ when he made that promise. And we're here, 4,000 years later, some 6,700 miles away from where this promise was made at over in Israel, and it's happening. It's being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We've all been blessed with the knowledge of the truth with the right to come before God in worship and in prayer. And you can stand today in a church in Israel or London or Guatemala, anywhere on earth, and you can listen to praises being sung to God. 
and you can see joy that he's giving people. Families around the world have been blessed through Jesus Christ, exactly as God promised Abraham. Despite all of Israel's rejections, God remembered his mercy and he was offering a way for Israel to turn to him. Let's look at Matthew 3, verse 7. Uh, These verses deal with John the Baptist's reaction to the Jewish leaders coming to his baptism. Starting with verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So God is communicating in these moments through John the Baptist that the Jewish people, people of Israel, have a choice. Acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ. And if they choose rejection, the fact that they're by blood children of Abraham, it's not going to save them. God has had mercy on them, and despite thousands of years of rejection, he's made a way for them that requires nothing but faith and repentance. They don't have to continue to try to follow rules that they've already shown they can't follow. He's not calling, God isn't calling for self-reliance. He's calling for repentance. And with Mary as a vessel... He's made a way for them to be righteous before him. But he's also warning them that this final rejection, this rejection of Jesus Christ, will not only deny them salvation, but it will cut them off as children of Abraham. They will no longer be part of the family. And then God will make his own children of Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 5 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in, all, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul's saying here that Faith in God is the defining attribute of a child of Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham believed on the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. God knew Abraham wasn't holy. He didn't choose him because he was holy and perfect and he was doing things the right way. Abraham was a sinner, just like us, just like every man that's come after him. But still God made promises to him to bless him, to bless all nations through him. All Abraham had to do was believe in God, to believe that God was who he said he was and that he could do and he would do what he promised. So as we start to close our time here this morning, let's look at Ephesians 2 verse 11 where we'll answer the third question, which was, how does the mercy spoken to Abraham apply to us? Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, Therefore remember that At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So how does the mercy spoken to Abraham apply to us? We receive it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our faith in Jesus Christ grafts us into the family of God. We become children of Abraham, we Gentiles. Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise to God, she was singing this because she saw that God was remembering his mercy and sending a savior. He was making a way for Israel to be with him and for us to be with him, though she might not have known that at the time. All who would put their faith in God, in Jesus, would be made righteous before God. This baby that was being born into the world, Jesus Christ, through whom all was created, for whom all was created, was becoming a man, he was becoming mortal, he was becoming killable, and he was killed. 30 years after Mary sang the song, Jesus would fulfill his purpose on this earth by being beaten to within an inch of his life and hung on a tree to, bury the, to bear the weight of the sin of Israel and the sin of all mankind. Everything Israel's ever done wrong, everything we've ever done wrong, to not hold up our end of the covenant. But after Jesus was beaten and killed, something happened with him that had never happened before. Since the dawn of creation, no man had lived in perfect submission to God. No man had sought God's will and totally obeyed it. No man had fulfilled the covenant that God had made with Abraham, not even Abraham. But when Jesus died, it cha this changed. It changed. Pastor uh, G. Campbell Morgan described it like this. He was the first man to enter into the perfect light of heaven in the right of his own holiness. Heaven had never before received such a man. But on that ascension day, there came into heaven a man who asked for no mercy. Pure, spotless, victorious. On that day, the mercy that God spoke of to Abraham wasn't needed by Jesus Christ. He didn't need that mercy. He had perfectly fulfilled the covenant. He'd done everything right. And so now he sits at the right hand of God. He is our righteousness. He's our peace. And through our faith in him, the Bible says that we now have access to the Father. All who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. And so God's promises to Abraham, to Israel, are now promises to us also. The Lord your God will never leave you nor forsake you. Because of Jesus Christ fulfilling the covenant, we now belong to God forever and we are righteous before him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, short time we could spend together with you this morning, Lord. And thank you that despite Israel failing, despite us failing to do what you had clearly asked us to do, you made a way for us to be with you. You made a way for Israel to be with you. And we are so thankful for the Jewish people who have recognized this and chosen to follow you. And we are so thankful that you've revealed this truth to us as well, Father. We are undeserving of it, Lord. But that's the point, Father. You've... Uh, 
you've looked down on us undeserving and sent Jesus Christ, who is deserving. And thank you that he passes this righteousness to us, Lord. Thank you for having mercy on us, Lord, through Jesus Christ. Amen.